You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, August 1st, 2022, the 558th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the episode on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by going to imyourmoderator.substack.com and signing up for a paid subscription. If you do that, you will also have immediate access to the writing when I post it and you will be supporting me and this show and the work that I do and hopefully allowing this to take all new directions. So if you want to do that and you're able to do that, that's what to do. Now, last night I joined Patel Patriot and Patrick Gunnels for the Devolution Power Hour, and we had a great conversation. And at one point, we were talking about how the media portrays what's happening in the world. And I think we were talking about the China-Taiwan situation with Nancy Pelosi and her trip now potentially to Taipei. 
and China's threats against Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi if she actually makes that trip. And I was joking that it's always important to remember whenever the media begins showing us one of these new narratives, especially ones that are scary, that we have to say to ourselves from the people who brought you murder hornets, from the people who brought you the Russian collusion hoax, from the people who told you Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes. This is World War Three, sponsored by Pfizer. And we have to remember that when we see new narratives, that these narratives are being fed to us by the same people who are intentionally wrong about everything on purpose in order to deceive everyone. Always ask yourself, what do they want me to believe? What is the television trying to convince me is true? And what do they want me to buy? Now, it doesn't have to be a product necessarily, though it often is. Remember, the corporate media is owned by a very few mega corporations, all of them in line with the global communist agenda. They are trying to sell you the world as they see it, the world they want you to help them create. And understanding that you have to ask, why are they showing me this? How do they want me to feel about this? What am I supposed to understand about this? And then ask yourself, okay, something is definitely happening here. What does this look like from the other side? What is the counter argument to what's being shown to me by the media? And once you've figured out that part, whether it's one thing or a range of possibilities, none of which you're certain about, then you need to determine what maps onto reality, what actually makes sense in the emerging worldview that we're all still trying to understand. And this is why I talk about good twin and evil twin, the factions, right? National sovereignty on one side. You can't have sovereign individuals without sovereign nations because the alternative to sovereign nations is a global government. And the global government will be making decisions that impact all the citizens of the world. And they will demand conformity because that's how it works. That's the situation we're currently being sold into. And when their agenda is complete, it will be the end of human liberty, whether for a short time or a medium time, a couple decades, or perhaps for all time. Okay. They're trying to put the technology in place and keep the population under full control always through tracking, through manipulation of your finances, through social credit scores, through your medical records and their ability to make sure that you stay up to date on your subscription to whatever drug or chemical or vaccine they want to put into you. They will govern what jobs you have in what industries, what industries are no longer allowed to exist. And we'll eventually have a global central bank cashless digital currency that they can switch on and switch off whenever they like. If human liberty exists somewhere in that system, I don't know where. And that's one of the real problems we're dealing with now 
with the people who are still sleeping. They believe that they are free because they experience in their understanding freedom within a certain confined space. They get to go on vacation once a year or twice a year if they're lucky, right? If they obey the state enough, if they comply enough, if they do what they're told to a high enough degree, then they'll be allowed to engage in some of the luxuries of life, or at least they'll suffer less than they are now. But if compliance and obedience are demanded by the people who bless you with your freedom, that's not freedom. It is not possible to have individual sovereignty under a global one world government. Okay. That's the evil twin. They want the global communist order, the global government and everything that comes with it, including the emerging technocracy and transhumanism. The good twin is the faction that wants to preserve national sovereignty and in doing so empower the individual and the collection of individuals making their own individual choices to decide the future of their nations. Now, if you don't like the good twin, evil twin paradigm, or you don't agree with me about which factions represent which part of that paradigm or which people inside those factions line up with which side, you got to take it step by step and break it down to its smallest parts always. But it's fine if you don't agree. That is not a problem for this. But you should accept the global communist agenda because they write it down. They tell everyone about it. They go on television and advertise the world they want to create. So we can accept on just observation that that is real. The response to that individual sovereignty and national sovereignty that's real, too, because we can see leaders in the world steering their countries in that direction and away from the global communist order. We saw Donald Trump do it. Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil represents the same thing. Victor Orban in Hungary. Narendra Modi in India seems to represent the same thing. Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia seems to represent the same thing. Vladimir Putin definitely seems to represent the same thing. And we're going to be surprised a few more times before all of this is over. So what does the television want me to believe? And when I say the television, I mean the grand sweeping narratives represented by television news and to some degree, all of our entertainment, whether it's the NFL or a movie on cable TV. The propaganda is everywhere. What do they want me to believe? What is the world they are trying to sell me so that I will help them create it? And in thinking about that, you can learn a lot about what the media is doing. You can learn a lot about the concrete empirical reality, the observable reality, just by analyzing what they are trying to get you to believe. Their stories may be completely false and make no sense. The narrative might not be coherent at all. The narrative does not demand coherence 
for anyone paying attention. It only needs to seem coherent enough in terms of good guys and bad guys for all the child brains at home still watching and still believing the mainstream media. And if you take it one step further, it's not only why are they telling me this story? It's why are they telling me this story right now? So with that in mind, the Gateway Pundit published a story yesterday. A friend of mine sent it over to me and was like, what's the deal with this? The headline is huge development. Supreme Court finally ready to hear argument that only legislatures have the right to update election law, not leftist judges or executive branch. Now, that story is from a month ago. It was published yesterday. The links in the article are from a month ago. This is about the Supreme Court confirming that they would hear a case called Moore versus Harper in their next term. Now, the next term starts in October, and a lot of people have rushed to think they're going to hear this immediately and release a decision immediately, and it might affect the midterms. That's not the case. I mean, that may be the case. Maybe something will happen. I'm not totally discounting it, but it doesn't have to happen. They might hear the case and release it in the same decision period that we just saw a month ago where they release a bunch of decisions right at the end of the term. And I've been through the story a few times. There is nothing new in it. It's all from a month ago. And so I said to my friend, this is a rerun. And I kind of just said it as an offhand remark, but then I started thinking about it. We see a lot of reruns in the news, the same way we see reruns on television. I used to love Seinfeld. I still love Seinfeld, but I used to love Seinfeld too. And when I used to love Seinfeld the most, it was back in the early to mid 2000s. And at that time, the cable network TBS used to show, I think, four episodes of Seinfeld a day. And I would just have Seinfeld on DVR. And if I wanted to sit down and watch TV, I would look through the DVR. If I didn't recognize the name of the episode and the description of the episode, I would watch it. And eventually I was just certain that I had seen every episode of Seinfeld. I never watched them all in a row. There might be episodes I haven't seen, but I would continue watching them until I knew the description and the title of the episode. And I knew that it was one that I had already watched before. And then I would skip it. And eventually it got to be that every episode was that way. And then I just stopped DVRing Seinfeld. And of course, before we had everything streaming and just immediately available, the syndicated shows would run on these cable networks over and over and over again because people liked these shows and people wanted to watch them, even knowing that they were reruns. And the networks would be happy to broadcast them because they knew people would be watching and they knew that they could sell advertising space next to those shows, even though they were reruns. The shows weren't new. No one believed they were new, but to certain people, they might be new. And then there are other people who just want to see the show again. I mean, how many millennial women do you know who watch Friends all the time? And hey, sure, sorry, millennial women to group you all together like that. But in general, you all like Friends way too much. So let's think about the idea of reruns as it applies to the media and the central narrative as they feed it to us. 
Now, I imagine Gateway Pundit's reprint of this story could have simply been a mistake. They disseminate a lot of information, a huge volume of information. It's possible that things get lost in the shuffle. Maybe a date on an article was misread. They thought this was new information. They thought this would be an attractive article to their readers, and they posted it. Totally possible. Maybe a simple mistake. And the answer might be that it is probably just a simple mistake. But that doesn't matter a whole lot. And this particular incident is just an example because we know that important stories tend to cycle through again and again. And this happens in particular when people on our side of things are able to spread information that builds up the necessary counter narrative, the one that is attached to the observable empirical concrete reality that once again refutes the central narrative and proves the story to be a fraud and proves that the people disseminating that false story are doing so for the purposes of manipulation. And so at the beginning, as the research is happening and we begin to discover what the counter narrative is and what the tangible reality of any given situation is, that information gets spread and people will take that information in. They will analyze it. They will incorporate it into their view of how they're seeing things. They'll see whether or not it maps onto reality. And people who are experts in these particular areas, eventually that information will reach them and then they will vet it. And once they analyze and vet it, then they will spread it further. And eventually it will begin breaking into the mainstream. And so there will often be stories that we become mostly aware of at a certain point. And then weeks later, sometimes months later, it will become more widely known and eventually it'll get into the mainstream. And throughout that process, people will begin waking up to these new realities. They'll begin understanding that the situation is not actually how they have understood it in the past. And that sort of thing happens in these gradual waves over time as more and more people come to these understandings. So it is natural in that sense to see stories arise again and again and again. We're seeing headlines just this past week, for example, from the New York Post. They're saying it's confirmed Joe Biden is the big guy. Well, many of us knew that in October 2020, there was no doubt about Joe Biden being the big guy at that point. We had Tony Bobulinski on Tucker Carlson saying Joe Biden is the big guy. And I know because I was involved in these deals and we had at least enough of the source material, whether from the laptop or whether from Tony Bobulinski's own records to know that he was not lying about what he was saying. Now we have that stuff coming over again, and it has been over 21 months since we all initially talked about that story, but people were told the laptop has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation, 51 former law enforcement and intelligence officials told us that Hunter Biden's laptop was very likely Russian disinformation. Twitter censored stories about it, saying that it was possibly hacked material. And a large portion of the population decided 
oh, this is just too confusing a story. Let's just ignore it. Or if we believe this story, that could help Donald Trump. So we can't believe it. And we'll tell other people that it's not true, too. Because if it was true and we still hated Donald Trump and we were still going to vote for Joe Biden, well, then we might be bad people. And we're definitely not bad people. We know we're not bad people because the bad people are on the other side. And so they put all of it aside. They ignore it. And we go on and on and on. And it comes up again every few months. Different hosts on the right will reference Joe as the big guy here and there. They'll always use it as a little joke, a little tagline. But it kind of just simmers there, never really breaking and blowing up. Now we're seeing the rerun of that story from the New York Post last week. Why are we seeing that now? Well, part of the reason why we're seeing it now is that there seems to be a concerted effort by the media to dispense with Joe Biden. They need a replacement for Joe Biden. Now, I don't know if and when that's coming, but I have a feeling it's coming soon because the media are really beginning to turn on him at this point. Now, I'm not saying they've had some grand revelation about their immoral role in the information that they've disseminated to the American public over the last six or seven years, but really much longer. They're doing it because they have their own motivations and Joe Biden is no longer able to serve their agenda. So they're prepared to move to another phase. But again, as we see this rerun, more people are seeing it. More people are understanding. And the idea is to get people to let go of their attachment to Joe Biden. And even for Democrats, having to deal with that would be OK as long as they are shifted to a new option that they are told is better and will help them even more in their quest for the ultimate defeat of Trump and all his very bad supporters. And in doing that, they're able to manipulate the set of things that everybody knows. Once the television begins saying something, then everybody knows it. It's okay for everybody to say it because the television says it and they can't get in trouble. So they manipulate what everybody knows. And in doing that, they change what everyone is allowed to say. Now people are allowed to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop. A lot of them still won't talk about it, partially because they were completely wrong for two years about an important subject but partly because they know if they talk too much about it, it might benefit the bad people. So they'll be okay with admitting that that is the real state of things if they're ever called upon, if they're ever asked. But if you take the next step and you say, yeah, well, that laptop is real and it was important back then. In fact, it's been important the entire time and you voted for a man who is absolutely one of the most corrupt politicians in American history. Hands down, no question. Joe Biden has been selling his political office for decades, including to our foreign adversaries. And another way to think of that is that Joe Biden has been taking massive checks to advance the global communist order. But they won't let you talk about that. They'll say, no, it's not like that. Or did you ever see what Don and Eric Trump did? 
And you can say, no, maybe you should uh, go ahead and explain to me what they did. Please describe in great detail what you think Don Jr. and Eric Trump have done. I'll wait. And they won't have anything there. But they will allow the conversation now. Before, they would deny the laptop. Now they'll accept the laptop, but deny its implications. You're not allowed to use it in conversation because you're one of the bad people and you can't say things that would make them seem like the bad people and you seem like the one who's been honest the entire time. You're not allowed to have that part of the conversation, but we are now allowed to acknowledge that Hunter Biden's laptop is real and might be an issue. And these reruns, once they're decontextualized and recontextualized, set the parameter for the new conversation that everyone is allowed to have, the set of things that everybody knows. In our old information environment, this was actually a really effective thing for them. They could add additional information into the set of things everybody knows that everybody's allowed to say because there would eventually be certain facts that are unavoidable. They need to recontextualize them so that people who were initially lied to can be comfortable with the new truth. And it is very effective on child brains. It has always been very effective on child brains. And once they planted the new truths into the set of things everybody knows, they could move on. They'd find new distractions. So, yes, we're giving you this new information, but don't spend too much time on it. We don't want you to really try to extract meaning from this and then make moral judgments about what this actually means in your life, in the world. We don't want any of that. But we are going to give you this extra information. And then we got an NBA game to show you. Hey, look at LeBron James. Do you like LeBron James? Hey, do you want to watch the MTV Music Awards? We have Cardi B. Look at Cardi B. And if you're addicted to the central narrative and you're engaged with that pop culture, you are totally stuck inside that false reality and you will happily have your attention shifted, especially when the new information makes you uncomfortable about where you might have stood in the past and the things you might have believed. But that whole process has broken down. That's not really working anymore. And it might still be very effective on a very small percentage of the population, but that percentage of the population continues to shrink. And as it continues to shrink, the people still inside it end up having to believe more and more incoherent nonsense and their attempt to try to make sense of all of that and still be the good people and the smart people the whole time drives them absolutely insane. A lot of people get to a point and they realize, okay, I'm not insane. This story is insane, and I can't believe this anymore. And that's when they begin to wake up. So these reruns and the process they use to enhance their agenda through them, that stuff is losing its effectiveness. And so what we see is these reruns being played. And for us, each time, we should perceive this as a wave of new people coming to these realizations. And the extent to which we are able to make these things make sense with everything else we've been saying, that's the extent to which they'll be able to wake up and understand that they've been deceived. And think about what this means for 
generations now of American children who have been raised in full or in part by the television. Think about the effect that has. Now, a lot of kids are raised in single parent homes. And when you're a single parent, you have a lot of work to do. You have a lot of responsibilities to your children. And then you still have to sleep and try to do anything else in your life. It's a lot of stuff. And so it's not unusual for kids to spend a lot of time engaged with their screens. This problem hasn't gotten better over the years. It's gotten worse. And obviously, I'm not the first person to observe this. I mean, this was in Fight Club and many other literary works. People have talked about it on talk shows. It's not a new phenomenon. We all understand this. A lot of people have been raised in full or in part by the television. And what does that mean? That means the television tells them how to be people in the world to some extent. It shows them images of all these people they're supposed to aspire to be, whether it's the beautiful actress or the superstar quarterback or the brilliant scientist or inventor. And then they give you an idea of how you might be that person one day. What do these people wear? What do they drive? What do they eat? Where do they go on vacation? Every Super Bowl winning quarterback, where do they go on vacation? What's the next thing they're going to do? Oh, I'm going to Disney World. And these are the building blocks of a false reality. We watch television shows. We watch movies. We observe crimes and their impact. We know what it's like for someone to get killed. We observe humans in their relationships. That's how our brain perceives them, at least. Sure, it's all fictional. It's not real. But think about how many relationships you've watched come together and fall apart and all the reasons they fall apart. All the fights, all the infidelity, all the people splitting up and getting back together and all the drama all of that creates and how that sucks us in. And then we replicate those relationships and those actions in our own lives. If we are engaged with the false reality and we find out we don't get very good results from following what the television has taught us. And now consider where we are. We know what smart people look like and sound like because we see them on television. And because we have already decided that this is what smart people look like and sound like. And these are these people they're smart, they're successful, they're experts, they must know what they're talking about. So the television tells us what the smartest people think, and we think, hey, we're smart people, we know who the smart people on TV are, and they said this, therefore, that's right. Maybe two smart people argue about something, and they have a difference of opinion, and now you've gotten both sides, even though both sides of that discussion are entirely based on what's already inside the set of things everybody knows and that everybody's allowed to say. And what we have in a very real sense is people who are still being raised by the television. They are being raised in terms of their social and cultural responsibilities, their role in a nation, their responsibility to other people. All of it is being taught to them by the television and reinforced by big tech censorship. 
and supported by the same narrative appearing in the newspapers and in the academic work. And all of this builds up that false reality, which is ultimately what the world's most massive corporations and the global government above them working in concert with them wants you to believe it is the world they want to create for you because in that world, you will act the way they want you to act. And eventually you will accept whatever they want you to accept, no matter how bad it is, no matter how much better you used to have it, you will still accept what they want you to accept because they will teach you exactly how. There was an incredible post today from a woman named Grace Chong on Getter, and she highlighted these two tweets from some brain-dead Biden voter on Twitter. Initially, this woman said on June 4th, 2022, okay, not even two months ago, she wrote, He's doing everything he can. Presidents don't control gas prices. Blame Putin and corporate greed. And then yesterday, within two months, she wrote, I paid 375.9 for regular in Orlando last week. Thank you, President Biden. She's bragging on behalf of the fake president that gas prices have gone down probably 50 cents or a dollar from their peak. She is thanking the president for that. The one who she has said already does not control gas prices. And why? They got her to accept gas prices at their worst state. They got her to argue that those gas prices were just fine. Nothing was wrong. Even though they're 2 and $3 per gallon higher than they were under Donald Trump. And because they were so high, now she thinks that everything is great because she is suffering slightly less. We are being conditioned to accept absolutely awful situations and then to think when something gets a little bit better, we should be grateful. That's an abusive relationship. That's Stockholm syndrome. And it's also exactly what you would expect in the lead up to an election. They make everything really, really bad and then make it just slightly less bad. If they do this across the board, people will think, oh, well, you know, okay, it was an adjustment. There were some difficult times there, but everything's better now. And the truth is, ultimately, what we need to do in this midterm election is make sure that no more domestic terrorists get into Congress. Because no matter how bad life is now, just imagine how much worse it would be if Donald Trump and all of his bad people were able to get back in power. Imagine how bad it would be if they were even allowed to think that they might get power. And once again, remember, this is a hate movement. They don't have actual political priorities because these people are among the most privileged people in the world. We're talking about people who in the last two years have not had the motivation at any point through the struggle. They have not been motivated to consider 
whether or not they might be wrong about the most important things that have ever happened to this country. They don't care about the gas prices. They don't care about the food prices. They don't care about what's happening in Russia or Ukraine. They just want to make sure that we protect the comedic actor who's now Winston Churchill. They think talking about immigration is racist. They don't care about groomers teaching your children. They don't care about whether or not masks are actually harming children. They don't care about whether or not people are losing their jobs for refusing to join a medical experiment that is proving every single day to be more dangerous and more deadly. They don't care about any of that stuff. They care about making sure that the people on the other side never, ever get power. It makes them furious when someone on the other side even has a platform, which is why they support censorship. They don't want people on the other side to even be able to speak. They want to imprison people. They call us domestic terrorists for a reason. I mean, imagine calling strangers domestic terrorists and racists and homophobes and transphobes and Islamophobes and all the other phobes and ists they can possibly come up with. They don't care about anything real. They care about making sure the people on the other side have no power. It's a hate movement. These are adults with careers, with families, and they are still being raised by the television. They have the child brain. All right. I've talked about this many times before, but that is what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with people who think on the terms of children. Decisions can only be made with the approval of the proper authorities, because if the authorities don't approve, you might get in trouble. And that's the worst thing. You would never want to get in trouble. If you get in trouble, people might start thinking that you're one of the people on the other side, and that's the worst possible thing. So you got to do what the authorities say. You need the television to tell you what to do and to tell you what to buy, to tell you how to feel, to tell you what to think, because you can't do it for yourself. And that pattern is going to have to be broken before all of this finally ends. Now, in talking about the number of things so far that they have accepted and even argued for, I want to mention one other thing we discussed last night, and that is what the moment of truth might be after which people may not be able to forgive themselves. They may just stay in that mindset and go crazy, or they may live the rest of their lives in guilt and shame. And I refer to that as living the rest of their lives as good Germans, the people in World War II Germany who just stood aside and allowed things to happen. They wanted to protect their jobs. They said that their family would be at risk if they ever spoke up and they got cowed into silence. Some of them were scared. Some of them just knew they were benefiting and they didn't want to stop benefiting. They told themselves it was every man for himself. We have to protect ourselves. We have these responsibilities. We must live up to these responsibilities and it's too bad for everyone else. That is what we have in our country right now. These people have defended the worst possible things. And by the way, this is true for everyone, no matter what the point was when you finally woke up. It's a matter of what you did and what you defended up until that point. Now, I started waking up 
the moment Trump was announced the winner in 2016. And I was never fully engaged with their whole thing. I was a Democrat. I was fully engaged in the central narrative and thought I was doing the right thing. But I still thought a lot of what they were doing, especially in terms of the woke stuff and some other things, was crazy. And I was drawing back. I was pulling away from all that. But I had already accepted that the Republicans were bad and I didn't want to be one of them. But I was like, why are all my friends getting crazy about this stuff? So when Trump won, I was like, wow, everybody who's been informing me was just wrong. And that made me wrong. And I don't want to be wrong. How do you get something so big, so wrong? They said there was no chance that Trump was going to win. And so I immediately started to reassess all that stuff. But I hadn't woken up fully until the beginning of COVID, where I realized that the things on TV were totally insane and did not match reality. I was following all of these great data analysts on Twitter and seeing that the data they were producing was not supporting the narrative that was coming out of the TV with the death count on the side. Always the fear. We need more lockdowns. You have to mask now, even though masks don't work. And they just kept going and going and going. And I kept saying, how is anyone buying this? I thought all my friends were on the same page as me. I was like, you guys are smart. You're thinking for yourselves. Look at what's happening. You can't possibly just continue to believe this, right? And it was at that point that I had this moment of truth. And so I began looking into my past. What have I argued in favor of? What have I done myself that wasn't right? That was based on interpretations I made about morality, but only being informed inside the false reality. And once you inventory that, you begin thinking about how can I make up for this? And to what extent do I owe society for my role in this? Now, I'm glad I had all of that realization at that point. And I don't have some grave moral debt I think I owe to other people. I don't think I've spent my life wronging other people. Now, other people might disagree and they're welcome to come to me. And if, if I think I'm actually responsible, I'm happy to apologize to them and attempt to make up for it. But it's about what you have actually supported. We're all allowed to make mistakes in a religious context. We're all sinners. We're all going to make mistakes. That's built in. But it's a matter of what you've actually supported and then how you respond once you realize that that thing is wrong. And I'm extraordinarily grateful that I have not continued down that former path throughout this entire period because they have continued to support genuinely heinous stuff. And I wrote about this in. The piece on Substack, a story about reality, it's pinned to the top of the Substack. But I was thinking of a list, and this is what I put in that essay. Terrorism, biological warfare, psychological warfare, drug trafficking, human trafficking, child sex trafficking, spying, tracking, modern slavery, active concentration camps, intentional medical malpractice, mass censorship and propaganda, false flags, wars of choice and convenience, child torture and sexual abuse, ritual worship of the material world, the reimagining of the elite self as a god of this realm, and the quest for immortality. And many of these things are still at play. These are present in the stories we hear about on a daily basis now. 
people who are still engaged in the false reality, who are still addicted to the central narrative and still supporting the implementation of this global communist order have either denied the existence of or made arguments in favor of the necessity of actual Nazis in Ukraine, right? And I wrote, according to the official story, Vladimir Putin is literally Hitler, while people like them publicly support and enact everything Nazis literally did. Censorship, segregation, propaganda, medical experimentation, global domination, communism, eugenics, and a quest for a higher form of human. And it's likely that those do not exhaust the options. Supporting actual Nazis in Ukraine was only the latest thing they did that was akin to the Nazis in World War II. They supported the confirmation of Katanji Brown Jackson by denying, flat out denying, that she had been lenient in her sentencing decisions on pedophiles. And they did that while supporting groomers and supporting sex education in public schools for four-year-olds. Now, that doesn't wash off. So the moment of truth for many of these people may well already have passed. Because to get past that, they're going to have to admit, yes, I was actually deceived into even doing that. I don't know how. I could possibly be led down that path because people believe that they are genuinely good people, or at least they want to believe that, and they will try to be on some level. But we've seen in the last two years how ready people are to simply stop trying and assume that they're good people because the television has told them so. They listen to the television. They take their cues from the authority, their parent. The television, the authority, that is their parent. That is how they judge good or bad for themselves. And I'm not saying I am making this judgment on people. I'm saying this is the reality. I hope they recognize it and I hope they respond accordingly. It, the best possible thing would be all these people realized it. And then they dedicated their lives to doing better, to trying to find ways to fix these things that they have done wrong in the past. That's kind of the point of existence, isn't it? Even outside of a religious context, we don't want to be shackled to our past and our mistakes and all our misjudgments about the world. We all walk through this world as people who are growing in the process of trying to understand. And so we'll see how this develops as everything plays out. But I hope for myself and I hope for you that we at least attempt to forgive and extend grace to people who seek it. And of course, that's not ultimately our role, but in terms of our personal relationships, I'm open to hearing from pretty much anybody. There are people who actually treated me in ways that I will not forgive, but I at least listen to their apology and accept it. They won't be in my life anymore. But this is going to be an important process of moving forward. And we do need some amount of those people still stuck to come back into the fold so that we can rebuild society. A lot of those people 
are going to want to do better and can probably help make positive changes. And we've seen plenty of examples over the last two years of that being the case of people who were on that side, who may have even voted for Joe Biden, trying to come back and make up for it. They've had a realization. They want to make sure everybody knows the truth and they want to do what they can to rectify whatever it is they might have done, whatever it is they might have argued for in the past before they had awakened. Now, I want to get to some other stuff before I end the episode. And first, it's worth mentioning that Joe Biden has more COVID. He got two doses of an mRNA vaccine, we are told, and he has had two boosters of an mRNA vaccine, we are told. And nonetheless, he still got the China virus. And we were told, despite Joe's increasing years, his physical frailty and his spectacular mental decline, he would still be just fine because he had gotten the very important experimental gene therapy. Surely that, and not the fact that COVID is not particularly deadly, would see Joe Biden through just fine and he could continue being fake president. So Joe Biden got over his COVID, we're told, in about five days, and he went right back to being the fake president we all know, that guy with so much energy and also Ray-Bans. And he made some videos with his dogs. He yelled at everybody while refusing to blink. And then it turns out a couple of days later, Joe had another COVID test and he tested positive because he had been treated with Paxlovid, which doesn't work and doesn't help people get rid of their COVID. It does present the possibility that you can get rebound COVID, which means it comes right back. And so the fake president has now tested positive for COVID three days in a row. We are told, do the tests work? No, but we're told that they do. And we're told that they're reliable. And hey, if the fake president relies on them, they can't be all bad, right? Well, the actual president responded to this on Truth Social yesterday. He said, Joe Biden's second bout of COVID, sometimes referred to as the China virus, was sadly misdiagnosed by his doctors. He instead has dementia, but is happily recovering well. Joe is thinking of moving part time to one of those beautiful Wisconsin nursing homes where almost 100% of the residents miraculously and for the first time in history had the strength and energy to vote, even if those votes were cast illegally. Get well soon, Joe. And I talked about this today with Sean Morgan on Making Sense of the Madness. I think this is an absolutely genius tweet by Donald J. Trump, and I think it is representative of one of his most clever communications tactics. He has used this tactic again and again and again over the years, and it continues to work every single time. There is no way to defeat this tactic. And by the way, I'm aware I'm not the only person to observe this, but this is an excellent example. So it's worth talking about. The communists and the mainstream propaganda state media cannot resist posts like this because they have the opportunity to show everybody once again how awful Donald Trump is. 
Donald Trump just did one of the most offensive things he could ever do. He made fun of someone having COVID. That is absolutely the worst. Don't you know how many millions of people have died? Don't you understand this is a global pandemic? If he's not taking it seriously, then people won't get vaccinated. And if people won't get vaccinated, then we'll never reach herd immunity and we'll always have COVID. They don't tell you how herd immunity could ever be reached with a vaccine that can't prevent transmission, but they exist in a false reality and we can just give them that one. So they can't resist this post. They want to show everyone how awful Donald Trump is. And so they'll write their articles and they'll spread this thing around. Donald Trump is a villain. He makes fun of an old man's coronavirus. And while they're reading that truth post, they will see the thing about nursing homes in Wisconsin. That is a real thing that they don't know about because the media won't cover it. What happened in Wisconsin nursing homes is not something that everybody knows and that everybody's allowed to say. It is not in the central narrative anywhere. I mean, think about the other nursing home story we got within the last two years. All of the deaths in the nursing homes, only in the blue states, and especially in New York, where Andrew Cuomo had a very close relationship with the major nursing home companies. They got all sorts of money to record COVID cases and to record COVID deaths. And a lot of people died because without a lot of people dying, who's going to take your very deadly pandemic seriously? Pretty much no one. So a lot of people died. A lot of nursing homes got paid. And it turns out that in a lot of nursing homes, ballots were harvested. Democratic operatives went in and found people who did not have the wherewithal to vote for themselves, and they voted on their behalf for Joe Biden and other communists. Now, that is nothing if not elder abuse. That is certainly no respect whatsoever for democracy, unless you believe democracy is trying to figure out how to get the highest number you can possibly get for total votes. They even justify it to themselves morally. We want every single person's vote represented. And because we're the people who are helping all of these old folks in these nursing homes, they would vote for us if only they had the ability to make that decision for themselves. So we're going to go ahead and vote for them. People who are addicted to the central narrative don't know anything about this. Donald Trump just put it in a whole bunch of their faces. Now let's get into China, Taiwan a little bit. This situation is obviously developing quickly. And so we will know more in the very near future, but let's just kind of take a temperature check on where we are now. And before getting into the specific Nancy Pelosi stuff about actually visiting Taiwan and what that's going to mean, this was released by the National Pulse today. This is Natalie Winters. The headline revealed Pelosi linked lobbyists are pushing China's social credit system for American citizens. Ant Group, a payment platform used to implement vaccine passports and a social credit system in China, 
has retained a number of American lobbying firms, including some with ties to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, former President Barack Obama, and failed presidential candidate Senator Mitt Romney. Ant Group is an offshoot of the Chinese company Alibaba, previously flagged by the U.S. State Department as a tool of the Chinese Communist Party and crucial to the regime's buildup of, quote, technology facilitated surveillance and social control. Ant Group also owns Alipay, a digital payment platform used by Beijing to institute vaccine passports, which have been used to render citizens unable to leave their houses and forced into quarantine. Ant Group is a key component of China's broader social credit system, sharing the data it collects on users' spending habits and online activity with Chinese Communist Party regulators. Social credit systems have raised concern in the West, with many fearing the weaponization of government and business surveillance to restrict individuals' access to the economy and services based on specific behaviors or even ideologies. Despite these fears, Several American lobbyists are working on behalf of Ant Group, appearing to help broaden the company's operations and reach inside of the U.S. Throughout 2021 and 2022, Ant Group hired four external lobbying and public affairs firms to help with objectives, including outreach regarding corporate profile and operations of Ant Group and its subsidiary Alipay U.S. The OBC Group, has been representing Ant Group since January 1st, 2022 on, quote, matters regarding regulatory issues for Ant Group and its subsidiaries. Among the firm's consultants working for Ant Group is Larry O'Brien, who has been described by the Washington Post as a major Democratic operative. Mr. O'Brien has been a longstanding participant in the House Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee's Maximum Level Individual Donor Program, the Speaker's Cabinet, and in the Pelosi Team 100 program. Over a period of two decades, Mr. O'Brien has had an extensive degree of involvement and interaction with the House Democratic leadership, with myriad Democratic members across a wide array of House committees, and with the leadership of the DCCC, explains his professional bio. He has also worked, quote, at the most elevated participation level with the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee charging its, quote, premier individual donor group, the Legacy Circle, since the inception of the program in 2006. He was a designated lifetime member of the Legacy Circle in 2014. In addition, he is the recipient of what the DSCC describes as one of the highest honors it can bestow, an award of lifetime membership in its majority trust program. In the award letter to Mr. O'Brien, Senator Schumer, then chair of the DSCC, stated, I can't think of a more qualified Democrat to receive this honor. His bio continues. Another Ant Group lobbyist on behalf of the OBC Group, Thomas J. Keating, served in the House of Representatives in the office of Sergeant at Arms for over 13 years, with his most recent role as Director of Police Services. Several other establishment D.C. figures, including advisors to the campaigns of George H.W. Bush and Mitt Romney, are also working on behalf of Ant Group, according to the OBC Group's lobbying registration. For three months of work, the firm received a retainer of $60,000. Lobbying firm Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld is also currently representing Ant Group, beginning its work for the Chinese company on January 27, 2022. 
In addition to Democratic congressional staffers and advisors to George W. Bush, Ed Pagano, who served as Senate liaison and deputy assistant to the president for legislative affairs in the Obama administration, is also working on behalf of Alipay. Another government affairs firm, Rich Fewer Anderson, began lobbying for Alipay on January 1st, 2022, conducting outreach regarding corporate profile and operations of Ant Group and its subsidiary Alipay U.S. Among the consultants working on behalf of Rich Fewer Anderson are alumni of the U.S. Treasury Department, Senate Finance Committees, and Democratic officials. Speaker Nancy Pelosi has made much of her trip to Asia this week, though upon landing in Singapore appeared to intentionally leave out references to China or Taiwan. Now, that last part has updated since then. But the point here is we can see the beginning stages of the implementation of a China equivalent social credit score in the United States. That's what I was just talking about before. Social credit medical status, finances, environmental, social governance, what you eat, what you buy, who you talk to, who you visit, what you say. All of that is included in the same system and they can control your life based on the degree to which you will agree to worship and obey the state. So will Nancy visit Taiwan? Right now, it looks like the answer is yes. There are reports from the same people who brought you murder hornets that Pelosi is supposed to arrive in Taipei sometime within the next 24 or 48 hours. Now, there have been continuous threats from China that they will perceive this as an invasion of China by the United States. They believe that Taiwan is part of China. They released a provocative video about the Chinese military. There have been various flyovers, various ship movements, and they have said they would be willing to shoot Nancy Pelosi out of the sky. Now, I don't think that stuff's going to happen, but hey, it's a wild world. But let's step back from the details for a second. On this show, I've been talking about a China and Taiwan confrontation for a very long time, probably at least a year and a half, definitely at the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine situation. There were very few of us standing out there alone saying that everything we are seeing with Russia and Ukraine is provable bullshit and that we should not get swept up in the hype even though a big chunk of it is coming from people on Fox News and people who are ostensibly on our side. As that situation has progressed over the last five plus months, I am pretty satisfied in understanding that those of us saying those things have been proven right by the world. Our version of events has mapped onto reality the entire time. The mainstream narrative about Russia and Ukraine has not mapped onto reality at all. They have been wrong the entire time. The comedic actor is not Winston Churchill. There really was an ethnic civil war already happening in Ukraine. They really were attacking and marginalizing ethnic Russians in the Donbass. All of that's real. There really are Nazi battalions in the Ukrainian military 
being supported and trained by the CIA and other evil twin factions, elements of the evil twin faction from the U.S. There really are biological laboratories there doing research on deadly and dangerous pathogens. That was admitted by none other than deep state Victoria Newland, who said these labs are there. We're only doing defensive research, but it would be really, really bad if what was in these labs fell into the wrong hands because then, and only then could it ever possibly be weaponized. It couldn't be weaponized with the U S doing this research with Ukraine It can only be weaponized if Russia gets it. So all of those narratives were entirely real. Ghost of Kiev, fake. Russia bombed a maternity hospital, fake. Russia slaughtered surrendering Ukrainians on Snake Island, fake. Russia is going to cause a nuclear disaster at Chernobyl, very, very fake. Russia is attacking a nuclear plant at Zaporozhye, Fake. Following this show and the work our community did would have guided you through that situation with a reliable, if imperfect, understanding of what was going on there. Whereas watching the news would have had you supporting Nazis and giving American tax money to corrupt people in and around Ukraine. No one even knows where any of the weapons that were sent there ended up. No one should be proud of having supported that. Now, back at the beginning of the Russia and Ukraine situation, I said we are seeing a preview of China and Taiwan. They are going to run a version of this playbook over again. That is what we now see emerging. So the questions are going to be, Where is this information coming from? Which of the events are real? Are these events being initiated by good twin or evil twin? And then how do we determine what is actually happening there? And we know that we're only going to get puzzle pieces. We're not going to get a perfect picture. And I'm more than happy to say that the media will not say that they are going to say they are giving you a perfect picture of exactly what's going on. There is nothing else you need to know. And in fact, if you even try to know other things, you're going to be branded a conspiracy theorist. You're going to be a QAnon and you are going to be on the other side. That is what the TV wants you to believe. Now, one of the big things about the Russia-Ukraine situation was the emerging knowledge of the biolab programs there and the biological weapons programs there. And a lot of people have done extensive work on this. My friend, Just Human, talks about this stuff a bunch. A guy named BioClandestine covers this stuff regularly. And I would imagine, just like in the Russia-Ukraine situation, over the next week or two or four, however long, we'll begin to see reliable media figures emerging from that situation who are able to give us some legitimate insight into what's happening on the ground. And we should pay attention to all of that. Now, bioclandestine, among others, have proposed the existence and the knowledge of the existence of biolabs in Taiwan. 
I am going to propose something else that we need to look out for. Now, it is widely understood and widely known that Taiwan is one of the world centers for the manufacturing and production of semiconductors and really high tech, high level microchips. And these end up in a lot of consumer products, in a lot of medical equipment, in computers, in mobile phones, etc., etc. But just like defensive biological research does not tell the whole story, these consumer products and technological products are not the entire story about what these microchips might be used for. And I want to be very clear that I am speculating right now. This is something to look out for that would be a suitable parallel to what we saw with the biolabs in Ukraine. Now, we know that part of the global communist agenda is the ultimate technocracy that allows them to control everything that allows them to make their utopian society efficient on their terms and efficient on their terms is entirely different than how we understand regular efficiency in their eyes. Efficiency is whatever serves their agenda best. And we also know that part of that agenda is transhumanism. They want to transcend the human form. They want to make themselves into a higher version of humanity. And when they tried this the last time in Europe in the last century, writers like Nietzsche used to call this the Ubermensch, the overman. That is what they are trying to become. I talked last week, I believe on this show a little bit about the television show Westworld. The plot of Westworld is that humans need to figure out how to be nice to the superior human species as they take over the world and dominate actual humans. And yes, it's fictional, but how fictional in principle is that? How fictional is that in theory? Do they want to create a world like that. And the truth is on some level, they do doesn't match up in all the fictional aspects, but these people want to upload their minds to the cloud so that they can in some way live on forever. They'll replace the physical form, right? They'll get a new body. They'll get new parts, but the mind will endure. And from my perspective, part of what this whole period is is an awakening to all of these aspects, all of these aspects of the agenda, all of the facade that covers all this up, all the philosophy and science that makes it look like this stuff is legitimate and something everyone should want. All of that is going to be exposed. I have my eyes open for this Taiwan thing being the stage of this process that begins to bring us very close to that understanding of the transhuman agenda and what these people want. We need to understand that this is a place to focus. If we begin to see that emerge, the TV is not going to tell you that that is not going to be included in the set of things everybody knows and the set of things everyone's allowed to talk about. What does the TV want you to believe? 
The TV wants you to believe that all of this is going to be about Nancy Pelosi making a trip to someplace she shouldn't be. That's not going to be what this is about. Do I know 100% that I'm right? No, I don't. But I am not going to be raised by the television as a fully functioning adult. I'm going to think for myself and I'm going to do whatever I can, whatever my part is to make sure that these sociopaths don't guide us into World War Three. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!